St. Louis Alderman Jeffrey Boyd has represented the 22nd Ward on the Board of Aldermen since 2003. And after two unsuccessful attempts at becoming a citywide official, he's now setting his sights on becoming mayor. The Democrat joins us next on another edition of Politically Speaking. So let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, a candid conversation with the Show Me State's biggest political newsmakers. I'm Jason Merzenbaum. And I'm Joe Manis. That's Eric Greitens, Navy <laughs> SEALs running for governor. And I'm really, really glad to be on with you, Jason and Joe. I'm going to push back on these regulators. I'm doing this for the people. I was encouraged along the way, not just by my family, but by a lot of teachers and professors and knew when I was in college that I would run for office someday. We're very excited about the prospect of having some more free market solutions. Even though after the conversation, I still might not agree. We want our listeners to get a real sense of what drives these people. They're actually people with a story to tell. And welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joe Manis is off today, so I have as my two special guest hosts... <laughs> Rachel Lippman, reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. And... And I'm Jenny Simone, the diversity fellow with St. Louis Public Radio. We are continuing our series of interviewing the mayoral candidates to become the mayor of St. Louis. That's a bit redundant. And we have as our special guest today... Alderman Jeffrey Boyd, 22nd Ward. We are pleased and honored to have you today. Um, I I just want to say for full disclosure, I do have a familial tie to the 22nd Ward. My grandfather told me before he passed away that he lived in Amherst Place near Amherst Park, which is in your ward. Yes. And uh, I actually drove by there a couple of times. So just so the listeners know, I do have some <laughs> reverence to to your ward, believe it or not. It's not the 16th, but hey. <laughs> well, I live in the 16th ward. And I would love to have you as a constituent. <laughs> one day, one day. So so as we are going to be doing with all of our mayoral guests, we want the, the people of St. Louis and our listeners to know a little bit more about you, both your professional and your political experience. So this is your, your chance to do that right now. Sure. Well, thank you so much, Jason, for giving me the honor to be here with you. First of all, what you need to know about Jeffrey Boyd is I have unselfishly served my country for 23 years. I'm a retired master sergeant. I have a master's degree in business administration. I put that to good use by opening two businesses in my neighborhood, the best place auto sales and the best place event space at 5736 Martin Luther King against all challenges. My wife and I decided in 1992 to move back to the neighborhood that we grew up in. I met her on the street we live on, Rowan Avenue, when she was 10 and I was 12. And we moved back because we wanted to make a difference in our neighborhood. We knew the neighborhood was deteriorating, and we wanted to be part of a renaissance. So we rehabbed a four-family flat, converted into a three-family, and been providing affordable housing for the past 24 years. I have been alderman for the past 14 years, again, in one of the most challenging neighborhoods in the city of St. Louis. I've served as executive director of two nonprofit corporations focused on community development. And your races for aldermen have not been easy. I think you won your first race by a handful of votes. Is that correct? You know, I'm, I'm going to back up a little bit sure. before that. I actually ran for alderman in 2002. Most people don't remember that race. It was a special election after Kenny Jones resigned and Jay Ozer, the committee man, was appointed as a Democratic frontrunner. I lost by 105 votes and $5,000 of my own money, but I didn't quit. I didn't give up because I was committed to service. So I decided to run again shortly thereafter in the um, what was that, the March primary. And I won by eight votes. So when people say every vote doesn't count, shame on you. It really does. That 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 that's uh, eight votes is is less than two hands. Right 
let's let's kind of start out with um, some of the things that you think you have done as an alderman. Sort of take us through some of the maybe the legislation that you've passed or initiatives that you've pushed that um, you're, you're trying to, to run on. Give us sort of your, you know, uh, your major accomplishments here. Okay, one of my major accomplishments I'm most proud of is the Arlington Grove housing development. It was a $34 million housing development located basically at Martin Luther King and Bird Avenue. I am so proud of that project, and here's why. Richard Barron, one of the principals of McCormick Barron Salazar, told me in 2008 that we would never have a development of the magnitude that I was dreaming of. But two years later, I proved him wrong, and he ended up being the developer to actually do that phenomenal project. It's 112 units. 90 of them are brand new. We rehabbed Arlington School, which I'm so proud of. It's the centerpiece of that development. Many people, including the residents around there and church members, begged me to tear that school down. But I decided I would put it on the National Historic Register, and I dreamed of it being a rehab project where people could live there. So it has 22 loft apartments in it. That is one of my most proud moments. And... The project was so phenomenal, I put so much hard work in it, the developer was kind enough to name a building after me right at the corner of Martin King and Bird. Two pieces of legislation I'm real proud of. Again, I'm an Army veteran, so I sponsored a veteran's preference bill in 2014 that the voters overwhelmingly passed. So it's part of the city's policy that a veteran would get a hand up by getting 10 points if you're disabled, if you're a veteran, and five points, no, I'm sorry, 10 points if you're a disabled veteran, five points if you're a veteran as far as employment with the city of St. Louis. Also, we had a really bad cruising problem from Fairground Park to Goodfellow and Natural Bridge and then to the highway. What does that mean, cruising problem? Cruising is when individuals in their cars, they just slowly drive along the road and it's almost like a parade. Oh. <laughs> and But it's illegal. And so and then they stop and they get out and they obstruct traffic. And they were overwhelming businesses by parking on their lots at gas stations, Burger King. And they had to ha- actually hire off-duty police officers in order to manage so they can actually make money and have customers come in. So we, we did the anti-cruising bill. It was, was very contentious, um, but we finally got it passed. And what, I, what that did was it eliminated some overtime and it redirected those law enforcement resources back to the community that needed it most. So those are two pieces of legislation I'm most proud of. Um, I'm really glad that you've, cruising to me sounds like kind of a funny, like young people going around like obstructing traffic is what I picture, but I didn't experience <laughs> it. But um, you talk about, I mean, I think we should shift to like public safety. You talk about public safety and how on your website you say you want 100 new officers to alleviate our public safety challenges. Um, I'd love to hear more about what those challenges are for you and what you think that 100 new officers will do to alleviate that problem. Thank you. Well, first of all, we're understaffed right now. So a minimum of 100 new officers in order to be adequately staffed. I have a unique set of experiences when it comes to law enforcement. As an alderman, I've been handcuffed twice unfairly. I've had a cousin who's been shot and killed by the police. I've had a nephew that was shot and killed by somebody that looks like him. So I'm very sensitive to public safety. What I want to do as mayor is make sure that our police department is organized in a way that they're effective and efficient at doing their jobs. I want to make sure that every neighborhood has bike patrols and foot patrols. Right now, they're only in certain neighborhoods, and that's not fair because so many people that I represent feel like no one really cares about them. 
You don't see the police officers enough. And if we do more community engagement with our police department, people will start to feel safe. They would be more connected. When I was growing up, we had officer friendly in school. So there was a good relationship between police and the community. And you kind of knew your police officers. They were around. You could talk to them. Right now, response time is long. We need to shorten our response time. And we need to make sure that we're connected with our community in a way that they feel better. Sometimes it's just perception. Right. And I guess I just wonder, like, to return to that original question, like, what the challenges are, from what I understand, is, like, lack of community engagement and then, like, violence. And then those police officers being in those spaces will just by virtue of community building, like help alleviate that? Absolutely. The more you see police officers, the less likely you are to commit a crime. But it's bigger than just that. We have to rebuild our communities. When you have communities that I represent that is full of slum and blight that's severely distressed and no one's really giving it the adequate attention and resource that it deserves, it's a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for criminal activity. But when we, when we literally built up those neighborhoods with beautiful homes, having a background in housing development for 20-something years, 24 years exactly, if we put new homes and businesses on these vacant lots and rehab these these buildings, these vacant buildings, like the one where the 12-year-old was dragged into, which breaks my heart, and it happened to be in the 22nd Ward. When we transform these vacant buildings into homes people can be proud of, we won't have those opportunities. Crime automatically will go down if you build up. When it comes to those developments, where does gentrification enter into that conversation for you? Because I know that you talk about making developers react to our plans instead of us reacting to developers' plans. Um, But I think that gentrification is a big issue that people talk about. It's not just building nice houses and having people... Sure. One of the things that that my policy would include is ensuring that there's no gentrification. We, first of all, when we put a plan together, we need to make sure all the stakeholders are at the table. There are a lot of homeowners who are struggling to make repairs on their home. So they've had 15 years of deferred maintenance. If you're going to do a major development, you can't leave them out. You have to make sure you give them a hand up in this process so they can have a nicely maintained home, and then you build around them. You don't just buy them out for $10,000 and see you later. You know, I don't support that. So that would be my plan. And, and let me share this with you when it comes to housing development, how the city of St. Louis has n- not been doing it right. So we have an economic development department that reacts to developers' plans, and it's a small staff of people. So they just keep coming, they keep coming, they keep coming. We have not taken the opportunity to put a real plan in place out there. The city of St. Louis gets millions of dollars from the federal government through housing development. What I would do, along with the Board of Aldermen, is look at our most distressed neighborhoods in the city of St. Louis and prioritize development and put a request for proposal out there for developers to bid on. And we have a minimum criteria that they must come with in that plan and made the best developer win. I guarantee you it's a plan that will work because developers are in the business of making money. And when they see that opportunity and when they see that you're willing to work with them and incentivize them to get development done, they'll come. But the problem is we have peppered these little small developments throughout the city of St. Louis where there's a small impact. When you rebuild a neighborhood like Wells Goodfellow, for example, and the 22nd one, by the way, a third of it is vacant lots and vacant buildings. But when you can put 200 homes in the Wells Goodfellow neighborhood, imagine 
the light that would shine on that community and the hope that people would have. Because I've seen it with the Arlington Grove Project. People were amazed. They said, wow, in our neighborhood? They couldn't believe it because we have been the forgotten community for a long time. So if you're elected mayor and you have control of the police department, would Sam Dotson, the chief of police, remain in place? I think out of all fairness to Sam Dotson, that you need to give him a chance. You, you, I need to have a vision as a mayor. And then we have benchmarks for success. And if the chief is not making those benchmarks, then maybe he should you know, seek employment somewhere else because I want to be serious about reducing crime. We cannot continue, Jason, to do business as usual. We must be fair in our allocation of resources. And then out of, out of fairness, see, I'm not the kind of person that wants to just sit back and judge somebody. I haven't had a chance to work with uh, Sam Dotson in a way that he reports to me. So unless he's not doing what I need him to do as mayor, I don't think it's fair for me to say he's gone on day one. Well, the reason I bring that up is after the state gave local control to St. Louis and to the St. Louis mayor, I heard a lot of a lot of talk about accountability and how this would be the chance for the mayor to hold the police department leadership accountable. Mm -hmm. And I look at the statistics and I watch the news and I see the crime that's happening not only on the north side, but parts of the south side. And that kind of speaks for itself that things aren't working, especially in neighborhoods like yours, but right. also in parts of South St. Louis too. I'm just wondering, where is that accountability that was promised? What, what do you think about that? Well, what I think is that's part of the system that's broke with the city of St. Louis. It's the establishment and the status quo. And until you have a leader that says, I demand accountability, here's what I'm looking for, here are your benchmarks for success, and you evaluate that person on that. And if the person is not making it, then they should seek employment somewhere else. But that's not just with the chief of police, that's with every department head and every manager in city government. I wanted to circle back to the conversations you were having about development, putting out RFPs and incentivizing it. That's obviously become incentives and the way that they are used has become a huge topic at sure. the Board of Aldermen recently. What's sort of your, your strategy as to how those would be used? Um, are you looking maybe for different types of incentives, directing it to different projects? Kind of take me through how you think the city should be assisting developers. Well, there's one basic incentive that we know well, and that's tax abatement. And tax abatement is put in place for distressed neighborhoods, just like tax increment financing, TIPS, for distressed neighborhoods. The 22nd Ward, the Wells Goodfellow neighborhood, is the epitome of a distressed neighborhood. And that's why local, federal tax credits, I mean state and federal tax credits are put in place. Tax abatement is put in place. But we also have money from the federal government and block grant funding and home fundings that we can incentivize developers with. So is the city then just not using its current incentive strategy correctly? Or, you know, you hear a lot of talk about it all kind of going to the central corridor. So how do you, as, as you, I think, have put it, sort of spread the, spread the wealth out to the neighborhood? Right. We have to really take a look at how we're incentivizing developers right now. There are some neighborhoods that tax abatement is not necessary anymore. And we need to start weaning developers off of the tax abatement in certain neighborhoods. For example, in the central corridor. And there are certain areas that it's just not appropriate. 
And we saw that in the, in the, the last neighborhood development meeting where I had to hold a bill because I just couldn't see justification for tax abatement on a project where the developer is going to make a million dollars in gross income. I want to play devil's advocate on that question for a second because I could see, okay, so I understand the argument against using tax incentives for something like Ballpark Village or the Cardinals because the chances of the Cardinals going to St. Louis County or, or Illinois are probably zero. But St. Louis City is not operating in a vacuum and St. Louis County and St. Louis County municipalities, I could see could become very aggressive with mm-hmm. their incentives mm-hmm. if the next mayor and the board of aldermen stop using them for development in the central corridor or downtown. And that could lead to losses of economic development opportunities to St. Louis County or St. Charles. Mm-hmm. How do you avoid that? Or am I overstating that problem right there? Well, potentially you're overstating it because St. Louis City is a great place to do business. I mean, when people leave the city of St. Louis, if you live in Florence or Chesterfield, when you go out of town, you don't say I'm from Chesterfield or Florence. You say I'm from St. Louis. So there's a lot of value in St. Louis. But, Jason, I don't, I'm not a big sports fan, but I remember seeing a documentary on the Cleveland Browns. Mm-hmm. And the owner of the Cleveland Browns won the new stadium. I mean, the stadium they had was just practically deplorable. No one thought the Cleveland Browns would move to Baltimore. And the political will in that city was pretty much dug in that they're not going to build a new stadium. And it costs Cleveland quite a bit. And so as legislators, we have to really think through all of that. And what I would be looking for as a mayor is the win-win. You know, maybe $80 million is too high. Can we do it with $40 million? You know, that's what I would be looking at. Going Continuing on sort of the, you know, the the stadium theme here, that's obviously been an issue you guys have been tackling since 2015 with with the Rams stadium. What's your position on that? Um, Should sports teams be getting public funding? Should we publicly fund an MLS stadium? Should we publicly fund an NFL stadium? You know, take us through how money should be used in that context. Sure. First of all, we have to prioritize development. Again, I talked about how we react to developers' plans instead of um, developers reacting to our plans. Here's the process that I would go through for a stadium deal. Number one, does it really create good paying jobs for the citizens of St. Louis? Number two, will the city generate enough revenue, meaningful, impactful revenue, where we can give pay raises to city employees and increase city services? And number three, does it fit within the overall plan of the city? If we build a state, I, first of all, I would love to see a soccer stadium. I don't play soccer, but I would love to see a soccer stadium. However, can we afford it? Does it fit within the big picture? You know, we're acting to a stadium. Should we do this stadium deal? But we really haven't communicated with the people to see if there's meaningful value. I think the people should weigh in on this. It's their money at the end of the day. And when you look at the numbers, you have to make sure that these millionaires and billionaires are not just taking advantage of the public. But we have more pressing issues than just potentially a soccer stadium. We have the convention center. We have Scott Trade Center. So which comes first? Um, I'm really glad you brought up that distinction between like the, you know, like the billionaires and all these fancy people and then like just us, the people, (laughs) regular people, Um, because you talk a lot about community outreach, which I think especially in your word has been really helpful for your campaign. Um, But I want to know how you're planning to outreach into new immigrant communities um, and the city's growing Latino population. I mean, Latinos in St. Louis are only about 3% according to the last census, um, but they're growing. And how are you letting those new communities, whether they're refugees, whether they're 
new people to St. Louis that came from other countries Mm -hmm. that you will best serve them as mayor? Well, I'm proud to say that I represent several immigrants in my neighborhood right off of Hodemont and Plymouth Avenue, uh, the old Alpha Gardens apartment complex they used to be called. And so there are, um, let's see, Syrian refugees, uh, I think Congolese, um, Iraqis. There's about six or seven that's there. And every now and then I get down there and and talk with the people. There's a language barrier right now, so they're working with the International Institute on that. But I do come over there about three or four years ago. I was working with a a lady. I forget her name right now. Uh, Actually, Cecilia Nadal is her name. And she has a special program, and she works with the immigrant population. And we were over there, and we were looking at the park, Amherst Park. And I noticed that some of the immigrants were bouncing a ball off their feet, like soccer. And quite a few of them were doing that. And I was like, you know what? Soccer must be their thing. So you know what I decided to do? I put a soccer field in Amherst Park. I mean, I how I think it's really awesome to have like a soccer field in your community. But aside from that, like immigrants, new immigrants to this area are facing very specific, special challenges mm-hmm. like access to public service, access to schools, all of that sort of thing. And I think that a park is really nice. But like, are there other more concrete things that will impact their day to day lives that you are looking into? Well, I kind of lean on the International Institute for guidance when it comes to them with the immigrant community. And I certainly would be a mayor to make sure that we have resources in place that support the communities. I'm excited about what I see happening on Cherokee. I can envision, because we do have some of them living in our neighborhood, that one day they can open up businesses in my neighborhood. And so I would want to make sure there are some incentives or programs in place where they can do that. Because I believe in diversity. And we can all learn from each other. And I don't want to live in a homogeneous neighborhood where everybody just live, looks like me. You know, what makes the world go around is the diversity. So I'm very supportive of programs that can, you know, bring us together. So I wanted to ask you about something that could come up during your hypothetical tenure as mayor, and that is a possible vote on either the city of St. Louis becoming part of St. Louis County or St. Louis County and St. Louis becoming one giant city, which I think is unlikely. I, I bring this up because I think it's it's going to there's an increasingly likely possibility that someone like Rex Singfeld is going to fund a statewide ballot initiative to decide this question, even though a lot of policymakers, including the current mayor and the former county executive, have explicitly said that only the city and the county voters would make this decision. Right now in the Constitution, that's the case. If you're mayor and you have a a political bully pulpit and and that scenario happens where somebody tries to make this decision on a statewide basis as opposed to a local basis, what's going to be your posture? I would vehemently oppose that because I believe in power in the hands of the people who are locally affected. I mean, I've always rejected Rex Sinfield getting involved in city business. I mean, right now we are coming up for a vote on whether the record of these office should be part of the assessor's office. That was nothing that came through the Board of Aldermen. There was no conversation with us, and I was insulted by that. And the people should be insulted, and they should reject that. Because unless it came from the people, then it's not valid in my mind. And when you talk about a city-county merger, I know there's a lot of studies that's been going on, and people say there's a a lot of benefits and cost savings to that. But we cannot get to that point, Jason, 
until we have conversation amongst ourselves, until the voters clearly understand what's going on, until St. Louis City and St. Louis County can even show that they can work together. I'm looking at this, and I've been working for 10 years in my neighborhood. I represent the part of town that uh, butts Wellston, and back in the day, it was a beautiful place. I would love to do an economic development project with the St. Louis County and the city of St. Louis where we can bring new jobs, new buildings to that particular neighborhood and that we can make it look better than the Delmore Loop. I remember 10 years ago, it didn't look like that from, from East Gate East on down to basically Goodfellow. If we can do stuff like that, if we can do housing development projects where St. Louis County and St. Louis City have partnered to do hundreds of homes in Wellston and over on the city side, that would show the region that we are serious about working together. Well, right now, the St. Louis Mayor Francis Slay and St. Louis County Executive Steve Stanger, I mean, they say they have a good working relationship, but on, on policies that are large, mm -hmm. besides NGA, they've pretty disagreed pretty sharply. Do you expect that to continue if you're mayor, or are you going to try to do some reapproachment, so to speak? Well, Jason, I pride myself on the power of relationships. As mayor, it's incumbent upon me to build relationships with many mayors in St. Louis County, with the county, and have a good relationship with the county executive. Now, of course, we're not going to agree on everything, but let's just start with the small things we do agree on so that we can show the region that we're actually trying to work together. Um, I wanted to ask you about, I know that, so the Women's March just happened mm -hmm. over the weekend, and I think that there's been a lot, I mean, I covered it, so I know that there's been a lot of conversation around intersectionality in those spaces, how women's rights have sort of fractured when we talk about just women versus women of color versus trans women versus queer women, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what did you make of the march and those questions around intersectionality, and how does it sort of look into your positions on women's rights as a whole in well, the city? First of all, my wife and I were very excited to be part of that experience. We had a really good time down there and it was just phenomenal to see so many women coming into one space for a great cause, as well as men. I wish I'd have seen more men down there, but being a father of two young girls, I'm very sensitive to women's rights and I'm very sensitive to making sure that I promote whatever I can do for my young girls to make them great leaders in our society, productive citizens of our society. So um, women's rights is very important to me. Sure, and like as young women of color who are your daughters and like your wife and your experience in those spaces, do you ever like grapple with those issues of intersectionality in those spaces, either as an alderman, when you think about women's rights, when you, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, my youngest daughter, she's, she's uh, Kayla, she's just phenomenal. Um, she's one of those young ladies that, you know, won't just accept your, your answer, you know, and she challenges the status quo, which I love about her. And I need to be there for her. I always make sure that I support her in whatever's going on. She haven't had a whole lot of challenges, nor have my older daughter have had a whole lot of challenges with issues like that, um, and I'm grateful for that. But I'll tell you, they're always ready for it. And I'm always, as a father and as a husband, supporting my wife and my mom, you know, on their particular issues. Because I'll tell you one thing, Jeffrey Boyd would not be who he is today if it wasn't for my beautiful wife 
who's given me so much support in this endeavor. I mean, she's with me in that tough neighborhood because she loves me and she cares about me and she cares about our community. And we're raising our daughters in that challenging neighborhood because we care about our community. And I couldn't do it without them. One of the things that obviously all families that are, are in the city or looking to move to the city has to consider is education. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you went through that with, with your kids. The mayor obviously has no direct control over the St. Louis public schools, but as mayor, what would you see as being your role in promoting the district? And how do you think that changes with the fact that it has just regained full accreditation? Well, Rachel, I am so excited as a father with children in the public school system that they got a credit after nine years. Again, my youngest daughter is at Metro as a junior, and my grandbaby, she's uh, pre-kindergarten at Washington Montessori. I want to be the chief advocate in St. Louis. I want to be the voice for our educational system as mayor. I will be in Jefferson City advocating for legislation to keep our children safe like seatbelts on school buses so they can leave home and come back safely. I want to make sure that I'm advocating in Jefferson City for pre-kindergarten being universal for all children. I'll be in Jefferson City advocating for expanded uh, after-school care and before-school care so that the kids can get the extra enrichment that they deserve. Every child in the city of St. Louis deserves the opportunity to achieve academic excellence. And I preach that to my children. I've been connected with this system for over 20 years. And I'll be excited to be the mayor and the chief advocate for St. Louis Public Schools. So you just mentioned both of your kids go to St. Louis Public Schools. Is that correct? That's correct. So I have a three-year-old son, and we're going to be making the decision about where to send him in the next few years. I really want to send him to St. Louis Public School System. I don't want to spend thousands of dollars on private school. I don't want him going to a a racially homogenous private school. I want him to experience the diversity, both economically and racially, that is in St. Louis. So how are you going to convince people like me, who are middle, upper class, white people who have this choice, Mm -hmm. to invest not only to invest in the St. Louis public school system by sending their kids there? Sure. Jason, one of the things I have found out being so connected to our public school system is they don't promote the good stuff that they really do. There are a lot of good schools within St. Louis Public Schools, and then there are some challenging schools. And I would invite parents to have conversation with the district about the different schools. There are magnet schools, there are choice schools, there are a lot of different options. I'm an alma mater at uh, Northwest High School, the Blue Devils, and it came up to be closed. But we got together, alumni got together, and we said, hey, look, don't close the school. We want to be part of, you know, helping you. We want to go out and promote the good things that you're doing. And so when we get more people for the community that buys into our schools and that support our schools, then we can continue to elevate our school system. I think it's, it's a big statement, the fact that we got fully accredited, that we're moving in the right direction. So let's not give up hope. Let's just keep helping it, help the system rise. Um. A question that I like to ask all political candidates that I have the opportunity to talk to um, is how do you handle self-care? I mean, you're an older person, you have a family, and you're running this campaign, which I can only imagine is completely exhausting. But like, what are you doing to like sort of manage all of those spinning plates? I try to hug my wife as much as possible. Uh, It's exhausting. (laughs) I don't do well with self-care. I'll I'll be honest with you. I I don't do well with it. But I'll tell you, this this is the third time I've run CY for office. And the first two times I ran, I did it by myself. It was extremely exhausting. I mean, I had to raise the money. I had to put the cameras out, the phone bankers. I mean, I did everything. This time I have a 
unique experience for me. I have an actual campaign manager, uh, Kara Turrentine, and she's phenomenal. And so she keeps me on track. She moves me where I need to move. And it's exciting. I mean, I am actually enthusiastic every day I get up and I have renewed energy because I have staff that's working with me to make this happen. You know, that was going to be my next. We're going to shift into the political part. Thank you, Jenny, for, for doing that. So this is your third time running citywide. You ran for city treasurer in 2012, I think came in third. You ran a very close race for license collector in 2014. I think you only lost that by one or two percent. Mm-hmm. What is it about those two campaigns that you learned that you're bringing into this one where you're facing several opponents who have more money than you, who have one city wide office for you that may have the endorsement and organizations that you don't have? So what did those campaign experiences bring to the table for you? Well, first of all, what it taught me was I can't do it by myself. And the first two times, a lot of the hard work was done by myself. You know, I'm not the establishment candidate. I am very anti-establishment and status quo. And so, therefore, you won't see me get all the major endorsements that, you know, other candidates may get. But I'm the only candidate that really has the heart for service and the passion to serve. And I think this time around, people are really getting the opportunity to see that. And being it's the third time, I don't have to spend as much money as the other candidates. And then they were different races. Um, you said I came in uh, third. I like to come, say I came in a distant second. It was <laughs> 300 votes that separated me uh, from second place. Understood. Um, but and then in the uh, license collector race, it was like 411 votes. Yeah. So people know Jeffrey Boyd across the city. And. They know I speak out and I speak up for those, you know, who don't have a voice. I have to ask this question, and I'm not saying I'm endorsing this political dynamics, but it is reality. Mm-hmm. There are four major African-American candidates in this race and one major white candidate. In your race for treasurer, it was two black candidates, two white candidates, and it was two black candidates in the license collector race. How does that change the dynamics of this race? Because there's a lot of discussion that the black vote, which is pretty significant in a city of St. Louis that is majority African-American, right. is going to get split. And Lyda Krusen, who is the white candidate that I mentioned, might win by default because of that. How is that? Is that bad conventional wisdom or is there something to that? I'm not convinced that it will happen just like that. I mean, certainly I support everyone having a chance to win. Whenever you run an election, everybody splits votes, period. Mm -hmm. I'm not running this race based on race. I'm running this campaign based on qualifications. And I think the voters are starting to shift toward wanting to see someone lead that really has the compassion and the commitment and have demonstrated that in the past. And it's not just about a celebrity contest because far too often, that's what some elections have been about. And and I wanna just point to the circuit attorney's race, Mm -hmm. right? People thought that Kim Gardner didn't have a chance. You know, um, the other candidate, Steve Harmon. You had Steve Harmon. You had... Hamaker, Mary Pat Carl. Hamaker, Mary Pat Carl. Most people bet money on Mary Pat Carl. Mm-hmm. She was endorsed by the establishment, Jennifer Joyce, and she was able to raise good money. But Kim Gardner won by over 9,000 votes. Mm-hmm. And she that's across the city. And so that was phenomenal. You had a situation in the sheriff's race where you had only one candidate, Joe Vaccaro, 
and you had four black men, including That's Vernon true. Betts. That's true. And yeah. Vernon Betts won by, I think, over 10 points. So I am proud of my whole city that we're not just looking at race anymore, and we're looking at competencies. There are four aldermen or people on the board of aldermen that are running for mayor. How does that change the meetings when you're you're trying to, you know, advance your ideas at the board, but then there's also, does it change the dynamic for you? Is there sort of more competition there? What does it look like from your seat as you're kind of like watching and listening to some of what goes on? Well, actually, I haven't seen a lot of change and shifts in people's positions. I think behind the scenes, there's a lot of stuff going on with different legislation, but I remain grounded in who I am. I conduct myself as a public servant, and I'm there to do the will of the people, period. It can't be about politics. It has to be about people and good policy. And we need to make sure we're always putting policy and people first and not just petty differences. One of the the critiques I've heard of your position on um, sort like how you – like I guess how you are talking about – individual people and like our choices that we make as citizens Mm -hmm. um, as respectability politics. Like if we just do X, Y, or Z, um, it won't, if I, if I just go find a job, like I won't be out doing, committing crimes. Or if I do, you know, that sort of thing that some people have said that you are ignoring extra um, societal impacts or foundations that they deal with? Like, how do you respond to those critics? Well, first of all, I haven't heard that. And I, I, that's not me because I'm a very progressive thinker. I believe in looking at the whole picture. So there's no way that I would suggest that just go get a job because it's not that absolute. I represent a neighborhood that has been disenfranchised, has been um, ignored for several years. I know situations where people have their lights cut off, that kids are going to school and that's the only place they can get food. Um, people have their gas cut off. People are homeless, and they're living inside vacant buildings. I, I'm connected to that. I'm always advocating for people to get services that they need to increase their quality of life. So I understand how social issues that are impacting us in our neighborhoods, and I would never suggest that it's just that. Nothing in my neighborhood is that absolute. So first time I've heard that. And if people are saying it, it must be a whisper campaign because people that know Jeffrey Boyd know that's not me. Service is part of the core values that I have. And I want to provide the best wraparound services for everybody to be the the positive, productive adult that they can be. So my final question for you, as I've mentioned several times, there are a lot of choices to be the next mayor of St. Louis. A lot of the choices that I've alluded to have very different experiences and very different messages that they're trying to get out. If you had a very simple pitch to voters why you are the best Democratic candidate to become the next mayor. What would it be? I would say to voters, if you want real change, hire an outsider. Hire someone that's not part of the status quo, that's not part of the establishment, that's going to keep St. Louis doing the running man. Hire somebody who has a proven track record of getting stuff done against all odds. And that is Jeffrey Boyd. My record speaks for itself. I put people first, and that's why I think people should go out and vote for me as mayor. Well, thank you very much for coming in studio and talking with all of us. This was a great conversation, and we're looking forward to having the rest of the mayoral uh, crew, so to speak, on. (laughs) We want the city of St. Louis voters to get as much information about these candidates as possible because 
this is such an important election. For Can a, I tell you how to get a hold of me? Oh, I'm about to do that. I'm about to do that. You, you just short-circuited me doing that. So let me let me do my thing. For all all my stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Rachel on Twitter at... At R. Lipman, two P's and two N's. Follow Jenny on Twitter at... At J-N-N-S-M-N. It's my full name without any vowels. So tell the people of St. Louis how to get a hold of you. Follow me at JeffreyBoyForMayor.com, JeffBoyForMayor on Twitter, and call me 314-339-6065, 314-339-6065. And the four in the handle, is that a number or the it's, word? It's the number four. Okay. Oh, he, so let's rise, St. Louis. It's time for us to rise to the next level. Until next time, so long. Mm-hmm.